Welcome to the Capital City Christian Church Podcast. My name is Chris, and I'm so glad that you're tuning in with us. If this is your first time listening or you'd just like to reach out, feel free to shoot an email to hello at capitalcitychristian.org, and I'd be glad to talk with you. Well, this is our last week in our Rooted series where we're exploring how we can become more deeply rooted in our own faith. Our senior minister, Doc Pattison, teaches about the importance of sharing our faith and how it can serve as a catalyst to growing in our own faith. So let's dig in to the final message in this series. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all God's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. I pray that you would be rooted. Good morning. We are really glad you're here. Some of you guys are not Jesus followers yet. We're really glad you're here. What we're going to talk about may seem a little odd to you. We just encourage you to listen in. It'll probably explain a lot about who we are and why we do what we do. But for those of us who are Jesus followers, our orders from our Lord are crystal clear. There's really no wiggle room. See, we Jesus followers call Jesus our Lord, which means essentially to us that he owns us. He is our boss. And he's left us some instructions, and they're crystal clear. We call, excuse me, we call it the Great Commission. We talk about it a lot here at Capital City because it's kind of our mission statement, both as a church and as individuals. Here it is. This is what Jesus tells his followers right before he goes back to the Father. He says, all authority, all authority on he- in heaven and on earth has been given to me, which means you, you need to listen. You need to listen. Now, go make disciples. You go make disciples of all of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teach them. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commandments that I've given to you, and be sure of this. In this whole thing, I'm going to be with you always, even to the end of the age. That's our mission statement. That's who we are as a church. That's who we are as Jesus followers. We kind of narrow it down in our foyer. This is from our foyer wall. Go make Christ-driven 24-7 Jesus followers. Bring them face-to-face with Jesus and teach them all that I have taught you. Teach them to obey everything that I've told you. Grow them up as Jesus followers. Now, a lot of us may not realize that this great commission doesn't occur just once there at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. It's actually recorded five times in our New Testament. Five times in various forms. The first one I read to you is from the Gospel of Matthew. Here it is in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus says, go into the world, all of the world, preach the good news, preach the gospel to everyone. Anyone who believes is baptized will be saved. Anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. In other words, this is really, really, really serious stuff. This is heaven and hell stuff. Here it is in the Gospel of John. Jesus, as the Father has sent me to seek and save the lost, that's what Jesus came here for, now I'm sending you. 
And when he had breathed on them, he said, receive the Holy Spirit because you're going to need it to get this thing done. And then, the, then Luke, who's one of the writers of the New Testament, he actually writes Luke and Acts. He actually records the Great Commission two times. I'm just going to show you the one in Acts. He says, you're going to receive power, <coughs> excuse me, when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You're going to need that power. And you're going to be my witnesses. This is huge. You're to be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, you're going to be my witnesses to the very end of the earth. In other words, tell them who I am, tell them what I did, and tell them how I have changed your life. Tell them who I am, what I did, and tell them what difference it has made in your life. Now, sometimes we don't pay enough attention to what Jesus didn't say. Here's what he did not say in these great commissions. He didn't tell us Jesus followers to hire some preachers, send out some evangelists, task those who are specially gifted with the gift of evangelism, tell them to go out, bring people face to face with Jesus and grow them up as Jesus followers. He doesn't tell us to hire it done. He tells us, get it done. Huge difference between those two. And he also doesn't say this. He doesn't encourage us Jesus followers to pray to God that God will go out into the world and save those that he wants saved. He doesn't tell us to pray hard enough and long enough that God is finally going to be convinced to save the people that we care about. He says, you go. You preach. You baptize. You teach. God will do the saving, but he's tasked us with making some introductions. Now, why would he lay that on us, this great commission? In fact, why do we call it a great commission at all? Truth is, for most Jesus followers, this great commission sounds hard more than it sounds great. It's almost guaranteed to plant seeds of shame and guilt whenever people remind us of our failures in carrying this thing out. And sharing Jesus is hard and sharing Jesus is scary, isn't it? I know that a lot of you guys feel inadequate. We all are. We're fully aware of our own hypocrisies and our own inadequacies. And those we talk to about Jesus are going to be fully aware, likely, of our own hypocrisies and our inadequacies. And what if they ask questions that I can't answer? What if they ask Bible questions, philosophical questions that I can't answer? A lot of us don't think we know enough to share Jesus. Or what if someone that I really, really care about, I share Jesus with them and they push me away? I mean, that's a relationship that I value. And what if they find me pushy? Or what if worse, they think I'm a nut and they cut off that relationship with me? Those are some of the excuses that we use, I think, to evade this great commission of Jesus. But maybe the real reasons run a little bit deeper. Randy's my preaching partner. A lot of guys know I talk about Randy a lot. He and I were talking about this stuff last week, and here's what he said. Now, you need to know, Randy's mean, okay? He is not a nice guy. He's as mean as a snake. I'm the nice end of this partnership. <clears throat> and he said that we Jesus followers usually don't share Jesus with the people we care about. Because way too often, Jesus doesn't mean that much to us. He's just not that big to us. And here's his reasoning. This is Randy's reasoning. Remember, this is not me. This is him, all right? 
He says, if you discover something that's going to make your life better, if you discover that is really amazing, something that is really amazing to you, you can't help but tell people about it, right? Ask me about my Alexa. That is so cool. You guys have an Alexa? Man, you can just do so many cool things with that. You've never used Amazon, right? It is absolutely amazing. Two days, just about anything you want. Did you hear about the bacon on a stick at Logan's? Did you? One of their hors d'oeuvres now, a half pound of 12-hour smoked bacon seasoned with a brown sugar glaze with just a kick of spice. And it's bacon. It's bacon. Well, let's talk Dallas Cowboys football. No, actually, you listen. Let me talk Dallas Cowboys football. You hear about my grandkids? My grandkids are way cooler than yours, all right? <laughs> you see, if we discover something that makes our life way better or cool, we just can't wait to tell people about it, tweet about it, Facebook it, whatever. Well, maybe, Randy says, maybe, he's mean, maybe for a lot of us Jesus followers, following Jesus just isn't as big to us as Alexa or Amazon or Bacon on a Stick or the Dallas Cowboys or our grandkids. Maybe he's mean, maybe he's just blunt. Do you think it's possible that our problem is that it just isn't that big to us? In any case, the question is still, why would God tell us to do something that is so hard? Doesn't God always have options? Didn't God have other options? Why would he tell us to do something knowing that trying to fulfill this would bring shame and guilt? Every time someone reminds us of our failures, I mean, anytime someone preaches on the Great Commission, people squirm. Is this Great Commission supposed to be a, a blessing or a curse? Usually God blesses. Usually God gives gifts, right? He's incredibly generous with his gifts. He promises forgiveness, grace, peace, hope, joy, purpose, guidance, strength, courage. He promises a better life in this world and a perfect life in the next. And that's all good stuff. And then he adds this great commission. Is this supposed to be one of the gifts? Or is this part of the pain that we have to go through in order to get to the gifts? For most people, I think, it's kind of like God offers them this amazing feast. This is how we see it, perceive it. This amazing feast. He's offering you filet mignon wrapped in bacon. Served with this sizzling garlic um, bread and this 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 baked potato that's smothered with butter and these baked apples and right next to it all is this pile of broccoli. Okay? And they tell you that you've got to eat the broccoli. And some of you guys are weird. You like broccoli, right? And then you're going to say, but they'll even smother it with cheese. And I'm thinking, you are weird. All right? Why would anyone destroy perfectly good cheese with all of this broccoli inside? <laughs> And a lot of people think that that's kind of what the Great Commission is to the Christian life. It's the broccoli of the Christian life. A few of you guys are weird enough to like it. The rest of us would at best barely choke it down, gagging a bit as we did it. Huh. Now I'm going to get back to that stuff in a few minutes. Have you guys been looking at the back screen, that center screen? Is that not cool? Pretty amazing pictures. Do they stir you? They stir me. I'm pretty sure they stir God. 
Now, for a lot of Jesus followers, they're a little bit weird because how we do baptizing here at Capital City is a lot of different than the way they do it in a lot of churches. More often than not, I'm not the one doing the baptizing. You'll see me on occasion up there. Not John, Lisa, one of the other staff. More often than not, it's one of you guys doing the baptizing. In fact, like a lot of churches, we, we actually track the number of baptisms that we have every year, but we also track the number of baptizers here at Capital City because we think that's huge. And if you look at those pictures, you're going to see a lot of parents baptizing their kids. You're going to see grandparents baptizing their kids. You're going to see brothers and sisters, friends, classmates, coaches, all different relationships, people baptizing people who are close to them. Some of them are old, some of them are young. But the only thing that we think that matters is that it's a Jesus follower who does the baptizing. Now, do you know why we do it that way? First of all, we think we, that's the way they did it in the early church. I mean, they didn't rely on the clergy or the pastors or holy men like me, right, to do the baptizing. Christians baptize Christians. And because we think it's legal... New Testament-wise, we want to share the fun. It's fun to baptize somebody. It's, it's an honor to be part of this incredibly important part of a person's life with God. You know, we've been doing it this way for years, having different people baptize folks. I don't remember a single time when someone came up to us and said, no, nah, I don't want to do it. I'm too busy. Or no, I, I'd rather not get wet. I don't want to get my hair wet, right? Or no, the water might be too cold. Sometimes it is, Right? We've had a lot of people who think they weren't worthy of baptizing someone. Well, guess what? No one is. But it's fun. When you're looking at these pictures, don't look at the, the faces of the people who are getting baptized. Look at the faces of the baptizers. I don't think I've ever seen a baptizer sad or melancholy or gloomy. Their faces either show wonder or pride or joy it's cool. And here's another reason that we do it this way. The guys doing the baptizing did a whole lot of the work. I mean, we try to help. We try to help a little. But it's these guys who are parents and grandparents and friends who have done so much of the heavy lifting, bringing a person face to face with Jesus. They should be the ones having the fun. And here's one more reason. Every time you see a picture of someone up there that is not staff baptizing someone, we see it as a challenge. Because that's what the Bible teaches. It's really on you. Your kids, your grandkids, your colleagues, your neighbors. Your job is to bring them face to face with Jesus. In fact, it's the single biggest gift that anyone could ever give a kid or a grandkid or a friend. You buy that? But I'll tell you what's way more daunting than just baptizing someone. You're not done. These baptizers aren't done with that person that they got to baptize. You did something. You, you said something. You did something that helped get them started on their life with God, which is so cool. But you're not done when you dunk them. Jesus said, go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You got that part done. That is so cool. And then he says, now teach them. Teach these new disciples to obey all of the commands that I have given to you. You see, everything up to baptism is kind of prenatal. Now it's time to do whatever you can to help them grow up, 
put down their roots deep as a Jesus follower. And here's the deal. This is, this is the big idea I want you to hang on to. You are going to continue to influence them spiritually whether you want to or not. You will continue to be a powerful spiritual influence on them whether you want to or not. This is a big idea. And this is the way that you hear it put sometimes. There are no spiritually neutral relationships. There are no spiritually neutral relationships as a spouse, a parent, a kid, a friend, a classmate, a coach, a neighbor. In every single relationship, you're either going to be nudging a person towards God or pulling them away from God. Which is it? And this is the important question. Are you doing it on purpose? Are you doing it on purpose? See, I think a lot of Jesus followers kind of do life blissfully ignorant of the fact that every single day we are nudging people towards Jesus or pulling them away from him. <clears throat> Let me show you how. And this one's kind of scary, especially for us dads. I mean, the guys who study this stuff, and they study it a lot, they tell us that in most families, the moms are the ones who take the lead when it comes to the spiritual development of their kids. Moms are the ones who go to church more. They pray in front of their kids more. They talk to their kids about God's more. In fact, about two and a half times as much as what they discover. We're incredibly grateful for the moms who step it up. But the guys who study this stuff tell us that more often than not, even though the moms take the leadership role, eventually, spiritually, kids tend to follow their dads. They tend to follow their dads, whether their dads try or not. A bunch of studies bear this out. But there's one study in particular that just punches me in the face. Here's what they found. They found that if both mom and dad attend church regularly, both of them are, are really serious about their life with God, a third of their kids will, when they get older, attend church regularly. 41% will attend irregularly. In other words, about three quarters of them. And about 25% will just simply go their own way and not go at all. Now, if on the next one the father attends only occasionally, only occasionally, mom is still regular, dad attends occasionally, only 3% of their kids end up attending church regularly. 59% will attend irregularly, and 38% won't attend at all. Gets worse. Here's the next one. Let's say mom attends regularly and dad doesn't go at all. Only 2% of their kids will end up attending church regularly. 37 will attend irregularly, and 60% will not attend at all. They're lost to the church, and way too often, they're lost to God. They have followed their dads. Flip it around. Here are the numbers. If dad attends regularly and mom is the one who's occasional, still 33% of their kids will attend church regularly when they get out of their home. Ten times the opposite. Ten times. Look at this next one. Dad attends regularly. Mom doesn't attend at all. 44% of their kids will still attend church regularly. Twenty times the opposite. A lot more numbers. I'm just going to give you one more. Where neither parent attends church, 40% of their chid, uh, only 4% of their kids will attend regularly, 15% occasionally, and 80%, 80% will be lost to the faith. Does that punch you in the face? 
Well, it's telling you guys is that dads matter. Parents matter. Dads matter. You're either going to be nudging your kids towards God or you're going to be tugging them away from God whether you try or not. Either way. Because there are no spiritually neutral relationships. In every single relationship, way beyond just parent and kids, in every single relationship, you're going to be nudging people towards God or pulling them away from God. So are you going to try? Are you going to make it intentional? Guys, my number one priority as a dad, my number one priority is to start my kids out on a path towards God. If I succeed at everything else and fail at that one, I have not done my job as a father. I can't make him choose that path. But have I done everything in my power to help him choose that path? So in obedience to our Lord's great commission, and because we love him, and because we want the very, very, very best for them, we do whatever we can, short of sin, to nudge those people we care about towards God. But here's the deal. Sometimes as hard as we try and we try hard, sometimes they don't budge. And when they don't budge, it breaks our heart. Here's the deal about sharing Jesus. None of us can force anybody to bend their knees to Jesus. And God won't force anybody yet. None of us can force anyone to bend their knees to Jesus and God won't yet. And that is so hard for us to accept when we love so hard and we pray so hard. It's so hard for us to understand. But it's always been that way. You get these stories in the Bible, and they're amazing stories. Peter and John heal this guy. Then they preach this absolutely amazing sermon. This is Peter and John, big two guys in the earliest church. And it says, many who heard believed. Many who heard believed. You know what that means? It means many didn't. Many didn't believe. They had seen God's power. They heard God's truth from the very, very best, and they didn't budge. Peter raises a woman from the dead. Can you imagine seeing something like that? And he points to the power and the truth of Jesus, making it done. And it says, many believed in the Lord, which means many didn't. Many didn't. He actually worked a miracle pointing to the power of God, and many people still did not believe. Apostle Paul, amazing guy. He went from town to town doing miracles in Jesus' name, bearing witness to the Jesus, who Jesus was and how Jesus had changed his life. Over and over and over again, it says many believed. You know what that means? Many didn't. This is the Apostle Paul. This is the guy who wrote 13 of the books of our New Testament. Some responded, some didn't. These were apostles. Take it even to the stories of Jesus, right? Absolutely amazing. I suppose Jesus could have, when he was here, forced them to believe. You know why? He was God. Could have snapped his finger. He could have done anything he wanted. He could have made people do anything that he wanted them to do because he was God. And Jesus, as God on earth, wants every single one of us to do life with God, for God, God's way. That's why he came. But he refused to force himself on anyone. And one time he revealed himself as a prophet to the Samaritans. And you know what it says? Many believed. Many believed, which means many didn't. 
In Jerusalem, Jesus works these miracles and then he tells them about God as his father and it says many people believed. Many didn't. Over and over and over again, read the stories. Many believed, which means many didn't. Even after he raised Lazarus from the dead, it says many believed and others went out and tried to figure out how to kill him. Jesus could have forced himself on us. He could have morphed any one of those many's into all of them with just a snap of his fingers. But he won't force us to our knees yet. You know why? Because he doesn't want slaves. He wants kids. Because he values love freely given more than he values obedience that is forced. God wants us to love him. But love only matters when it's not forced, when you don't have to. And I'm telling you guys, that explains a lot for some of you. Because some of you guys have a husband or a wife or a kid or a mom or a dad or a best friend or someone else that you love so deeply. And you've been praying for them passionately for months or years, sometimes for decades. And they just won't turn their heart to Jesus. And it is breaking your heart. And sometimes we pray so hard. And sometimes we beg God to change their hearts. To force himself on that precious one that we love so much. And sometimes we forget that our love for that person is not a shadow of how much he loves them. And we persist, hoping that we can break God down, hoping that he'll finally bend his will to ours. You pray, and you pray, and you pray, and you pray. God bless you. But you're not going to make God love him more than he already does, because God always, already loves every person you love, and he loves them perfectly. And you're not going to make God try harder to save them than he already is, because he is already working on them with all of the power of the Holy Spirit. But God wants kids, not slaves. So you keep praying and you keep nudging. Pray that other Jesus followers are going to step it up. Pray that when God opens a door, and he will, that he'll give you the courage and the wisdom to step through it and do the right thing. I don't think God's ever going to quit working on us until the day we stand before him face to face. And I don't want any of us to quit working on anybody until that day either. This is too big. This is too important. So let me offer you three suggestions on how to get it done. See, I think our God wants us to do anything short of sin to make Christ-driven 24-7 Jesus followers. How? How do we get it done? starts here. Model it. Live it. Live it, guys. Your actions are going to speak way more powerfully than your words. In fact, if you say it and you don't live it, it's going to negate your words. Put Jesus first in your own life. Find ways to connect with God's people. Make worship part of the rhythm of your life. Grow in Christ. Serve him. It starts with your model. Be a Christian. That's first. Number two, Jesus says you will be my witnesses. You'll be my witnesses, my witnesses, which means that at some point you've got to tell them. It's not enough just to, 
just to model it. You gotta, they've got to know why we worship him, why we connect with other Jesus followers, why we are so committed to grow in him, why we serve him. At some point, you've got to back up your model with your words. You will be my witnesses. That's not just modeling. It means at some point, you've got to tell him who he is and what he did. You don't have to be a Bible scholar or a preacher. Just tell them who he is and what he did. It's up to the Holy Spirit to do the convincing and the convicting. You don't have to be able to answer all their questions. That's okay. I can't even answer all my own questions. It's a little. Just tell them who he is and what he did. And let the Holy Spirit take over. And then tell them what he's done for you. Tell him your story. Tell him what Jesus means to you. And I hope he means a lot. If he doesn't, then you've got some other work to do. I mean, they can pick at his story, perhaps. The Holy Spirit will deal with that. They can't pick at your story. Just tell them what he means to you. If he's making your life better in this world, giving you hope for the next, tell them. Tell them. Because they need that stuff too. And God will be able to use your story to pull them into his story. And here's the third thing. Remember, partner up. You're not alone in this thing. Partner up. He's trying to help you. That's what Jesus meant, both in the Gospel of Matthew, also over in, the, in John and Luke, when he gave the Holy Spirit to us. He says, you're not going to be alone. I'm going to be with you always. I've planted my Holy Spirit inside you to, to give you courage and to give you words to help you partner with him. And let us partner with you. Let us be there for you. We're in this thing together, guys. Maybe the simplest thing you can do for somebody that you care about is to invite them to church. Because sometimes God moves powerfully in this place and you don't have to go it alone. And you've got family here. And we will do whatever best we can, our best, to have your back. And if you give it a shot... Look at those pictures, guys. God never meant the Great Commission to be a curse. He meant it as his gift. There is simply no greater gift that God can give you than allowing you to be a catalyst for someone else coming to Jesus. And there is simply no greater gift than you can give anybody that you love than a nudge towards Jesus. Do you believe that? Let's pray together. Father, for this gift, we give you thanks. Now we ask you to give us the courage to be children of God. Even when it's hard, knowing that sometimes the best things are hard. In the name of Christ, we pray these things. Amen. We've just got more words. Don't panic. I'm not going to start over. <clears throat> this is the very last Sunday of this rooted sermon series. Next week, we're actually going to start a study of the book of Colossians. We're going to work our way through the book for about 12 weeks. I hope it'll be a lot of fun. We're done with the rooted sermon series, but rooted here at Capital City is not done. We've been talking about growth catalysts. That's what this has all been about. What are those things that we can do to put down deep roots in God, where we can put ourselves in a place where God can grow us up? 
And for the most part, I've been talking about our strategy that's found out on the wall in our foyer. You walk past it every single week. We make worship part of the rhythm of our life. We seriously connect with God's people because we were not made to go it alone. We put ourselves in growth environments, both inside these walls and outside these walls, and we serve because our goal is to make disciples who make disciples, carrying out that great commission. Now you look at those things and you got to ask the question, did God mean for those to be a blessing or a curse? Is all that stuff supposed to be the broccoli of the Christian life? Sometimes people call them the Christian disciplines. Makes it sound hard. And I know that sometimes those are hard. I mean, there are times I walk into this room, I shouldn't tell you this, but I don't feel like worship. God didn't mean it as drudgery. Sometimes it's hard to focus. Sometimes it's not fun. Sometimes we keep doing the right thing because it's the right thing and in the long run it pays off. And this connect stuff that's on that wall, guys, I'm an introvert. A lot of people don't know that. But I'm an introvert. I'm paid to be an extrovert. And the truth is, some of you guys aren't fun to be around. (laughs) But even guys like me and guys like you desperately need a church family. People who have your back, even when we don't deserve this grace. And I'm telling you guys, I don't always like to study in those growth environments for pity's sakes. And there are times when I'd way rather be served than to serve. But God didn't mean these things to be a curse. And to tell you the truth, I don't care what you do. I don't know what your job is or what your passions are. If you want to do it well, some of that is going to be hard. Part of growing up is learning to do well things that are just aren't fun. Because the payoff is amazing. Guys, these growth catalysts are a gift from our God. And they help us to grow into fully mature, God-loving, people-loving, life-loving Jesus followers. And we walk down this path and we become people who have tasted God's forgiveness and his grace. We've discovered his peace and his joy, his hope. We felt his strength, his courage, and his guidance. We start to get just a glimpse from time to time of the life that God meant us to live and how someday it will be perfectly in Christ. Now I told you that this was the last sermon in our Rooted series, but there is a next step. The next step of Rooted actually starts this next week here at Capital City. We've been pushing life groups for this last month. Vern is our connections minister, and he's had a life group sign up out in our foyer for the last several weeks. What we haven't really unpacked for you is that we're challenging all of our life groups to go through a study. You know what it's called? It's called Rooted. That's the study. Ten weeks, just ten weeks, going right down to the basics. Dealing with things like this. Who is God? How does he speak to us? Where is he when we hurt? There is an enemy, you know. How can I make the most of my life? How does God view what I think is my money? Why and how should I share Jesus? What I talked about today. Why is the church so important to us? And we're going to be having these Rooted Life Groups And they're going to be meeting on Sunday mornings and on Wednesday nights and different nights through the week. If you'll sign up, just 10 weeks, just 10 weeks, would you commit to 10 weeks to making your life with God better? Going back to the basics. 
And for full disclosure, the fact is, if you discover that connecting with a life group like this does make your life better, we're going to want you to stay on. We think these life groups, this connection is critically important to us as people of God. We're going to ask a lot of you. There's a workbook. You know what the workbook's called? It's called Rooted, right? We're going to ask you to buy one of them. If you can't afford it, we'll give it to you. We really will. There's some Bible readings on the inside. There are assignments for you to work on. Actually, there's an assignment for five days a week. It's not long, not hard, it's not tough, but it's important. And it'll take you deep in your life with God. Somewhere near you, there's a rooted card. Looks something like this. It should have been on your chair. You may have sat on it. This is to sign up. We need your name, your contact information, and perhaps when you might be willing to meet. To meet. Don't, don't wait, guys. This actually will start next week. If it takes you a week or so to, 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 to make up your mind, we'll still plug you in. But our rooted groups are going to start this next week. Don't wait, please. Fill out this card. You can drop it on one of the worship stations. You can give it to one of us staff, one of the greeters, the guest services team that's out in the foyer. They've got those red badges on. Our encouragement is just give it a shot. Ten weeks. See if it makes a difference in your life. Let's pray together. God, so grateful for your presence. So grateful for your gifts. They're all amazing. Some of them are hard but they're all amazing. Help us to be people of God that are eager to put our roots down deep so we can discover the kind of life that you meant us to live. We love you dearly. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. You guys go out and have a great week. Stand tall for God.